Well, good to see you all this evening. And just a little heads up about Sunday. We are going to be looking at our PowerPoint verse for the month, finally. Uh, better late than never, I guess. So if you'd like to read ahead, it is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. That will be our text for Sunday morning. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. Well, tonight we've got a bit of a doozy in front of us. We're going to spill over a little bit into chapter 28, but we'll look at the whole of chapter 27. So would you open your Bibles tonight to 1 Samuel chapter 27. We'll read all the 27 up through 28 verse 2. Now, last week we examined the final encounter and conversation between King Saul and soon-to-be King David, and we learn some lessons from that encounter and David's actions and thoughts and activities concerning the chase that he was under constantly and how he was facing constant opposition, facing constant persecution, and the enemy was on his tail, so to speak, continually. And we learned that if we remember that God is our strong deliverer, then we could come away with these three conclusions, even when we are being pursued and under enemy fire. Anybody ever been harassed by the adversary? And relentlessly, it seems. What we were reminded of were these three things. One, our most important asset when under enemy fire is our spiritual integrity. We need to maintain our witness, maintain our testimony, even when we are under fire for a seemingly long duration of time. We also needed to remember that the primary purpose of every attack is to cause us to doubt or deny that God is our strong deliverer. That's what the enemy attacks us for. He can't have our soul. Amen. He can't have or snatch us from the Father's hand. He cannot separate us from the Father's love. So all he can do is cause us to doubt or deny and cease to believe that God is able to deliver. But we also noted that sometimes our strong deliverance is as simple as avoidance or distance and distance, I should say. Now, remember, David would not stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed. And he told his nephew Abishai that you cannot do so without suffering consequences for having done so. And in 1 Samuel 26, 19 to 20, David said to Saul, Now, therefore, please let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now, we noted last week that based on this statement, it appears that David understood somehow, whether it was discernment or word of mouth, that Abner, the commander of the armies of Saul, was indeed whispering into Saul's ear that he needed to get rid of David, that David was trying to overtake the throne. And David called him out, so to speak, and even told him last week, if you remember, that Abner, you are worthy of death because you have not protected your master. And I have proof right here in that I have the javelin and water pot that was once right next to King Saul's head. And the fact was, he was stirring up King Saul in order to drive David from his portion 
of the inheritance given by God to the Jews and even push him through that to serve other gods. Now, this is always the core issue of the enemy's plots against us to keep us from walking in our inheritance and doubt that God is for us. Now, we also noted that when Saul admitted that he had erred exceedingly and played the fool and that he had sinned against David and even promised not to harm him anymore, David didn't go running to Saul to return the spear in the water pot to him that he had taken as proof that he once again was close enough to Saul to have killed him yet spared him. David said to Saul, send one of your young men over to get these things and take them back to you. So David was avoiding Saul and his proximity to Saul had to be at a safe distance. And we're told then Saul went home and David stayed in the wilderness of Ziph. Now it's interesting that we could well tell where our text is going to go tonight, the tone of our chapter, so to speak, in that we have introduced the idea in previous chapters in this uh pursuing of David, so to speak, that out of this time in David's life were birthed several Psalms, 52 through 57, uh, came out of these experiences that David was having. But our text tonight breaks the pattern. There is no Psalm that is birthed out of what we're about to read, and you'll find out why as we go through it. There is no Psalm about our chapter because the cycle of flesh and spirit flesh and spirit vacillation that David was constantly going through as expressed by his actions takes an ugly turn toward the flesh, even though he just made a very godly and spiritual decision to preserve the life of Saul. Now in Psalm 32, 2 to 4, King David wrote, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Somebody say amen to that. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. And David said, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For night and day, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. David was in a dry season. And because of this drought that he was experiencing, the Psalms coming from the end of his pen and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit had dried up as well, at least for the moment. Now, what led David to such a place is evidenced as much by what is not in the text as what is found in the text. And we have been reading of Saul's relentless pursuit of David, David's battle between his flesh and emotions versus those of walking in the spirit and according to God's word. And what we don't find at the end of our last chapter or at the beginning of this chapter is a prayer to the Lord or a petition for God to give him direction. Now, we close with the first two verses of our chapter this week. We'll look at them again, where David said, Someday, Saul's going to get his wish. Someday, Saul is going to kill me. So what the enemies wished for me all along, which was to drive me from my inheritance within the land of Israel, David, in essence, says, I'm going to give in to that and move to the land of the Philistines. Now, we're going to find David not only living in the land of the Philistines, we're going to find him living in a state or condition that none of us should live in, even when the enemy is pursuing and pushing us to doubt 
what God has proclaimed to us. And where David was living, we could well describe as, and here's our title, under the circumstances. David was living under the circumstances. And that's not where we're supposed to live our lives. And that's not to say that when life is hard, we don't feel it. That's not to say that things in life that we experience aren't going to hurt. And it doesn't uh, mean that we're not going to get frustrated by the relentlessness of trials and tribulations. Anybody ever have their uh, car break down at the worst possible time? Or get a flat tire when it couldn't have happened at a more terrible time? We've all been there. We've all experienced those things. And therefore, we need a reminder, I believe, all of us do, that we cannot live underneath the circumstances of life, but we need to live with trust in them, through them, and even over them. And Hebrews reminds us in 12, 1 and 2, <clears throat> excuse me, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, pointing back to the hall of faith in chapter 11, Hebrews says, let us lay aside every weight, the things that burden us, and the sin which so easily ensnares us, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's how you do that. Looking unto Jesus. Here's what you remember. The author and finisher of our faith. Here's an application of his own life. For the joy that was set before him did what? He endured the cross. Despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now our personal application portion of our text tonight is going to be about how we can live in the circumstances of life, yet not live under the circumstances of life, but even over the circumstances of life. And our example is going to be through the actions of David and what we are to remember and also what we should not do according to the things that he does in the text this evening. Now listen, first of all, David did not have a record of inconsistency with how God had treated him. David couldn't look back and say, the Lord let me down in this situation. Saul's javelin actually pinned me to the wall and hurt my shoulder. And uh, my shoulder isn't the same anymore or anything else. He couldn't say any of those things because all three attempts to pin David to the wall while he uh, played soothing music for King Saul were unsuccessful. Every effort, no matter how many men Saul brought with him to trap David, to kill David, were unsuccessful. Remember, he had, as we'll visit tonight, even set a guard outside of David and Saul's daughter Michael's house in order to trap David and kill him. But all of these things were unfruitful, and the weapons formed against David did not prosper, nor will they prosper against us. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. So let's learn how to live in and over the circumstances instead of under the circumstances through a man after God's own heart, who in this case, let his emotions and fear get the best of him. So stand and read with me, please. First Samuel 27, we'll start with 1 through 7. And as I said, read up through 28 2. 1 through 7, 1 Samuel 27. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines, and Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. Then David arose and went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. 
So David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. Then David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day, and therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. Now the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. You may be seated. Interesting that uh, archaeologists have just recently uncovered the ruins of the city of Ziklag, once again pointing to the uh, accurate history that the Bible communicates. Now the first thing for us to note is the word heart. David said he said in his heart. And this would be a phrase that we would use to describe something we have experienced within the same context where we might say something broke my heart or I was heavy hearted. It doesn't mean that your literal heart was physically broken or that it was somehow become literally heavy. It's a figure of speech. And therefore, the figure of speech means the feelings, the will and the intellect. And David is admitting to the fact that he had said, based on his feelings, based on his emotions, based on human reasoning, that it was better for him to live in the land of the Philistines because Saul was eventually going to succeed in his efforts to kill him if he didn't do something. Now, did not the Lord promise David that he was going to be king? Was David king yet? No. Was David going to be king? Absolutely, because God is true to his word. Amen? So David had nothing to fear. There was no reason for concern. And this is a denial of what the Lord had promised David, even though he had acted with confidence in time past of both his calling and his equipping all the way back to the Goliath incident. If you remember back in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, when David had observed after going to his brothers to bring them bread and cheese that this Philistine giant, the champion of the Philistines, stood in the valley of Elah and challenged the uh, Israeli army from morning until evening every day. And no one would go down and fight him. And everyone was afraid of him. And then David, after telling the people uh, and asking the question, what will be done for the man who kills this giant? And David was answered, Uh, by his own brothers harshly about his insolent and prideful heart. And Saul had heard about this young man. And when Saul had sent for him, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Don't you love David's God confidence in this scene? Does he have it now? No, he says, you know what? Saul's going to kill me. It's inevitable. I may as well go live 
in the lands of the enemy. And David's emotion caused him to reason in his heart and intellect that there's nothing better for him than to escape Philistine territory where Saul would not pursue him because it would be at Saul's own peril. And then we're told that after three days of fasting and fervent prayer, do you see that anywhere in 1 through 7? I don't see it either. But the truth is this. David allowed his emotions to push him into being led by feelings instead of acting based on his historical facts. He had been delivered from Saul multiple times when the Lord protected his life. He had been given the advantage over Saul two times when he could have taken Saul's life. And at those times, he did not give in to the feelings or even the fatigue of being pursued constantly and living in the wilderness of Ziph. But rather, he did what was right in the eyes of God. And here, he's being pushed around by his feelings, thinking even what happened when uh, Nabal... And David had sent his ten young men to petition Nabal at a time of feasting because David had protected his flocks and his herds and his shearers. He told Nabal, through these men, how about some provisions for we who have watched out for your men? And Nabal replied unkindly to them. And David again was instantly driven into the flesh. He said to his men, saddle up, we're going to take care of this guy. And it was even revealed to Abigail later that he was not going to leave a single male of Nabal's household alive by morning. And yet David, when he was instantly in the flesh because his emotions got the best of him, he had an encounter with Abigail in 1 Samuel 25, 32 and 33, where he said to her, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, Because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. So instantly David is back in the realm that he ought to dwell in, in the same place we all should walk in, even when we are being pushed or prodded by our emotions and feelings. And David therefore had a long history of divine deliverance behind him, but he also had a long history of poor decisions as well, that it even caused great harm and death to others. If you remember, he went to the city of Nob. He lied to the priest Ahimelech and said that he was on a commissioned mission from King Saul himself. And it was urgent, and that's why he was without sword or provision. And he took the sword of Goliath and went on his way. Then Saul questioned Ahimelech, called him before him, And not only did he slay Ahimelech, he went to the city of Nob where all the priests lived and he slayed all the people in the city, including women and children. And this was all because David had lied. And he again here decides to live under the circumstances and not over them in spite of the fact that he had been to Gath before. He had already tried to flee there before. And in order to spare his own life, he had to act like he was crazy. Let slobber run down his beard, which in that day was in very poor form because the beard was a symbol of a man's wisdom and stature. And for him to let spittle fall down the front of his beard, for him to claw at the door like he was crazy, was the only way that he could escape. And yet he reasons in his mind because of his feelings and his emotions. And he says, yep, that's where I need to go back to. It's better for me to go to where I was almost killed, 
to live with the sworn enemies of Israel than to stay where I am and count on God to protect me. This is, in essence, what David's decision and statement was. But listen, here's what you and I need to take away when we are being relentlessly pursued, when the attacks seem to be one upon the other, when the times of trials seem to be in the order that when one ends, another begins. Here's what we need to remember. Are you ready? I'm sorry, what was that? Here we go. Listen, what was true in times of blessing is still true in the midst of our trials. What was true in times of blessing is still true in the midst of our trials. Anybody ever feel like enough is enough? Enough already. These things just have to stop. I remember uh, there was a poster in a sales manager's office that I happened onto one time. It said, I've only got one nerve left and you just got on it. You ever feel like that? I'm sure we've all had that particular feeling at one time or another. This is where David is. This is where he is emotionally. This is where he is mentally. His feelings and emotions drive him to a decision that it would be better to live in enemy territory, though it was actually occupied territory that belonged to the tribe of Judah, given to them in Joshua 15, 21, than to stay put and let the Lord continue to be his defense. Now, here's the thing. It worked, but not without cost. Saul heard David was in Gath, so Saul decided not to pursue him anymore, which implies, obviously, he had it in his heart to go after David again if David stayed in the wilderness of Ziph. This was what David wanted. This was the whole motivation behind his decision and what he said in his heart. David then asked Achish for a city under the guise of feigned obeisance to Achish, and the king gives him Ziklag, where David dwelt, we're told, for a year and four months. Now, consider David's words in Psalm 3, 1 to 6. David wrote, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. Listen to what he says here. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Now, David said he wouldn't be afraid when ten thousand were set against him. Yet Saul and his 3,000 men drove David to living under the circumstances in enemy territory. Now, our point is one of those things that's easy to believe, but it's hard to achieve. It's something that we will all say amen to, but we will all have to fight to apply to our own lives. Listen, just because it's hard not to get pushed under the circumstances doesn't mean we're destined to go there. Doesn't mean we're destined to live there. And what was true on the day the Lord used Samuel to single out David from his older brothers, anoint him as king, continued to be true on this day when David was still on the run from Israel's current king, King Saul. And therefore, in our times of trial and trouble, we need to remember what's true in times of blessing is still true in the midst of our trials. Are you here tonight? Now let's take a look at verses 8 through 12. 
And David and his men went up and raided the Gezerites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites, for those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. Now, whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. Then Achish would say, where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of the Jeremiahites, or against the southern area of the Kenites. David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore, he will be my servant for how long? Forever. Remember what we mentioned earlier about what David said to Saul in chapter 26 about listening to men, specifically in verse 19. Saul said when he knew David's voice, is that your voice, my son, David? David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O king. And he said, why does my Lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done or what evil is in my hand? Now, therefore, please let the Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. Now, this is what David said to Saul. And yet here, the next chapter, we find David in enemy territory, dishonestly committing himself to a pagan king, so to speak. And he is killing entire villages of people, including the descendants of Esau's grandson, Amalek, or the Amalekites. And he kills to cover his sin, which is a sin that he will repeat in the future to cover his sin with Bathsheba, though not on the same scale. Now, remember David's justification in his mind that was emotion and feelings driven. He said, there's nothing better for me to escape than to escape to the land of the Philistines. I think David's assessment was wrong based on what we have read thus far. And thus his feelings and emotions, which he mentally justified, are obviously what is driving his steps at this point in time. And Achish believed David was actually raiding and plundering southern cities of Israel. And David said, if I go to Gath, Saul will quit pursuing me. And he was right. David intentionally tried to dupe Achish and it worked. Achish believed him. David set Achish up by calling himself Achish servant. And this was an appeal to a man of great pride. After all, David was a man about which it was sung. He has slain his ten thousands. He was a man who slayed the legendary Philistine champion Goliath. And now by his own profession, he was a servant of Achish. And this was a feather in Achish's prideful cap, to be sure. Now, Achish has an interesting name. It means I will terrify. He viewed himself as a terrifying ruler, one to be greatly feared. And here the giant killer has now assigned himself the role of a servant to Achish. 
Now, this leads us to our next point. We packaged it as kind of a profundity. A profundity is just a simple truth with a profound meaning. And it is something we all need to remember, especially when we're being relentlessly harassed, pursued, and oppressed. And by David's example, here's our takeaway. Listen tonight. There is no right way to do the wrong thing. There is no right way to do the wrong thing. If it's wrong, it's wrong. David's feeling and emotion-driven plans may have worked, but they didn't work together for good. Look at all that he could examine as justification of his actions. One, if I go there, Saul will quit pursuing me. And he did. The king of Israel's primary enemy believed him. So therefore now he is embedded behind enemy lines with 600 of his men who on an instant could turn on Achish and his army or the Philistine armies. And yet Achish trusted him completely, believed David's false statement that he was his servant. And David and his men were now inside Israeli enemy headquarters. Now that's what David saw at the moment. But what David didn't see was what was coming. Peeking forward a little bit into 1 Samuel 29, 1-7, here's what's coming that David was unaware of even as he made his decisions rather than staying under God's protection in the land of Israel where he would have protected him from Saul. In 1-7, through we're told, Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek. And the Israelites camped by a fountain, which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and thousands. But David and his men passed in review at the rear with Achish. Then the princes of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with, what's the next word? Me. David's, uh, Achish is saying, David is my guy. He's my servant, the giant killer is my servant. The servant of King Saul is my servant. And he mentioned this uh, all these days or these years. And to this day, I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, to Achish, make this fellow return that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him and do not let him go down with us to battle Lest in the battle he become our adversary. That was David's plan. For with what he could, uh, what he could reconcile himself to his master, if not the heads of these men. Is this not David of whom they sang to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Achish called David and said to him, Surely as the Lord lives, you've been upright. And you're going out and you're coming in with me in the army as good in my sight. For to this day, I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me, even though David had been lying to him all along. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. Therefore, return now and go in peace that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. David's covert op did not work. The advantage that he hoped he would have on behalf of Israel didn't come to pass. He would have definitely done what the Philistine princes said he would do, but that is not where it ends. David's choice to live under the circumstances, be pushed by his feelings and emotions and reason within himself that it's better to be in the land of the Philistines also led to this. First Samuel 31 through 6, it told what happened. It happened after the scene we just read. 
When David and his men came to Ziklag, having been refused by the Philistine lords, sent home. On the third day that the Amalekites had invaded south, the south and Ziklag and attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire and their wives, their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of what? Stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself, where? In the Lord his God. Now think about the contrast. This is the same 600 men who were hiding in a cave with David in En Gedi. These are the same counselors who said, the Lord has delivered your enemy into your hand. Now kill Saul. And David said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And these same 600 men obeyed King David and did not act against King Saul at David's word. And now here he is on the verge of being stoned by this same group, all because David chose to live under the pressures of his emotions and feelings. Now, he may have gotten the results that he desired for a moment, but in the end, all he sought to do was wrong. And it showed itself to be such. Now, personally, we might be able to create through manipulation or movement a respite from enemy attacks or personal trials and tribulations. And even as we noted and mentioned last week and this evening, the common sense aspect of God being our strong deliverer in the right thing that we try and do in those times, whether it be avoidance or a change of location, listen, that change of location will never mean doing the wrong thing. It will never mean contrary actions contrary to the word of God. If we think about what we have examined, we could summarize David's actions like this. The man after God's own heart had begun to act like the man from whom God's spirit had departed. In other words, David was acting more like Saul now than he was David. He wasn't trusting in the Lord. He was taking matters in his own hands. Now, Peter would remind you and I, a man who knew a little bit about failure, in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11, where he said, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you when? In due time. Not in your time, not in my time, but in God's time or in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. This is exactly the progression that David experienced. He had suffered for a while. He had failed in that suffering. But then in the end, he sought the Lord, and the Lord heard him and settled him. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Somebody say, Amen. Listen. David took control of his own circumstances and he wound up underneath them. 
And his plans, though seemingly successful for a moment, didn't achieve what David hoped for and almost got him killed by the 600 men who had followed him faithfully. There is no right way to do the wrong thing. There's no justification for us getting outside of the word and the will of God, even if it makes sense to our flesh and even if it works for the moment. Somebody say, that was a weak amen, but I'll take it. Now look at 28, 1 and 2, and we'll wrap up our time. Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, You assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. And David said to Achish, Surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. And David reiterates to Achish that he is his servant. And then he cites his credentials based on his past lies that he told him about these supposed raids into southern Israel. And then Achish makes an empty promise to David, as we already looked ahead to 29 and 30, about being one of his chief guardians forever for the balance of Achish's life. Now, Achish believed that David had made himself an enemy of Achish's own enemies. And this position of honor bestowed upon David for this reason didn't come to fruition, as we read a few moments ago. As a matter of fact, things actually went from bad to worse in a digression that began with one simple statement from David, a decision based on feelings and emotions, and that is what is best for me is not to continue in faith based on past evidence. What's best for me is what I am thinking and feeling right now, and that is to get out of Israel and camp inside of enemy territory. Now, we mentioned this earlier, but I'll remind you when Saul sent men to watch over David and Michael's house to catch David and kill him, or at least bring him to Saul so Saul could kill him, David wrote words in Psalm 59 about this very event where he said this in 9 and 10, I will wait for you, O you, his strength, for God is my defense. My God of mercy shall come to meet me. God shall let me see my desires on my enemies. Now, David obviously wrote this after the events that we're looking at here this evening. But before he wrote it, it was true. And he wrote it because it was true. And yet here he is all, if I can use the vernacular of today, he was all fleshed out. He was being pushed around by his emotions and his feelings and even rationalizing his decision. And it was even pushing him further because it was successful to a degree and for a moment. He's deceiving and lying to Achish. He's killing people to cover his lies. It worked for a while, and then that even got him a promise from the king. But the princes of the Philistines saw through David, and David's plans came to absolutely nothing. And even the hometown temporarily of Ziklag, given to David and his men, was raided and burned by the surviving Amalekites from other cities who had obviously heard what David did to their kinsmen. Now, this brings us to our final consideration as to why it's best not to live under the circumstances and not to let feelings and emotions be our decision-making barometer. And here's our last of three observations and applications tonight. Listen, the benefits and blessings of God's will are found in God's will. 
The benefits and blessings of God's will are found in God's will. Now, David also made the observation, where can I flee from your spirit? If I make my bed in hell, or if I'm a total failure, even there, your hand will hold me. And it's not that we ever get outside of God's uh, domain of love and protection for us, but sometimes we get ourselves in harm's way and find ourselves facing things that could have been completely avoided if we didn't get pushed around by our emotions and feeling. Anybody know what I'm talking about tonight or just a testimony? Now, a few of you will admit it. Now, Saul quit chasing David, but David was God's chosen king anyway, and there wasn't even the remotest possibility that Saul could ever be successful in his efforts to kill David, God had said David was going to be king and David was going to be king. David thought he got on the inside of the Philistine army, but when it came time to go to battle and betray them, he was sent home. And when he gets home with an empty promise from Achish, he sees that his two wives have been carried away and the men who were once faithful to him sought to stone him. And this is what caused David, the depth of his hardship, to turn and look once again to the Lord. Now, just a reminder from David's son Solomon from Proverbs 10:22, we're told the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds what? What are the next two words? No sorrow with it. Now, David may not have liked being in the wilderness of Ziph. Have you ever been in a circumstance you didn't like for a prolonged period? Have you ever been in a situation that seemed like it was never going to end? And yet you had the promises of God and his past record of faithfulness. He probably didn't like the relentless pursuit of Saul, nor did he like the times where he had to flee for his own life when he was playing soothing music for Saul and he threw his javelin at him. However, even with the addition of 3,000 men in the wilderness of Ziph, when Saul was pursuing David and seeking to take his life, David was never in any real danger because he had a promise and an anointing from God. And when he got under the circumstances, when things started to turn for the worse, and I think we could all bear witness to having done that at some point in our lives. Now, when we take control of our lives or circumstances, in a sense, we have rejected the direction and therefore the control of the all-knowing, ever-present and all-powerful God. And this is what David said when he let his emotions and feelings cause him to say in his heart, you know, the best thing for me is to just to get out of Israel altogether and live in a place where I was almost killed one other time. Now, when we make these same thought processes and feelings and emotions are the source of them, we've chosen the inferior dry and thirsty land as opposed to the blessings of God that are absent of any attached sorrows. There's no evidence that there's any relation between Psalm 37 and 1 Samuel 27. And we do know it was written after the events here. But looking back on his life so far, David did write this in Psalm 37, 1 to 5. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and what? Do good. Dwell outside the land. Dwell where? Dwell in the land 
and feed on what? His faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness when being pursued by the adversary. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you what? The desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. As I said, there's absolutely zero textual evidence that this is related to our chapter tonight, but it is definitely related to the vacillating of David between his flesh and spirit that he went to time and t- went through time and time again. Now, if David were here tonight, someday we're going to get to talk to him. That would be cool. Amen. That's after the first million years where we stare at Jesus with our mouth hanging open. Then we'll start chatting with some of the other saints that are there. But if David were here tonight, I think he would tell us, don't live under the circumstances. Don't let feelings and emotions push you around. Because living under them is not a place of blessing. It's a place that leads to compromise and empty promises of rewards and successes given by the enemy. Now, one last thing I want you to consider tonight. We do not read anywhere in Scripture that David, this is not a word, but it will be after tonight. David unbecame the man after God's own heart. Even with all that he did, even with all of his failures, even letting himself be pushed around by his feelings when he had just stood firm in his faith and on the word and directives of God. And that tells us since David was never or never unbecame the man after God's own heart, a man of his own choosing. What that translates into for you and I tonight is this. If you have been living under the circumstances recently, you're free to come out from under them immediately and stay out from under them permanently and get back to the realm of sorrowless blessings because these are the things that make us rich. How do we do that? We just read it. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Somebody say, amen. Amen. Listen, we've all had these things happen to us. We've all had our emotions get the best of us. We've all made decisions based on our feelings. I said all, so I'm raising my hand for all y'all. We've all been there, done that, and we've all experienced the consequences of a poor decision at one time or another. But I am always encouraged by the Proverbs that remind us, though the righteous may fall seven times. Remember, seven is the number of what? Completeness. I think we could well translate that to say and mean to us, though the righteous may fall completely, completely mess up, completely doubt God, completely question his faithfulness. Though the righteous may do that, they rise again. So listen, 
you don't have to, I don't have to live under the circumstances. We can walk with God in the circumstances and live our life over the circumstances. And that can happen for us all immediately and permanently anytime we decide to embrace his plan because he will bring those things to pass when we commit our way to the Lord and trust in him. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. Father, we are grateful for your word again tonight. Thank you for telling us of this man that you love so dearly. And Lord, we thank you that we can remind ourselves that David didn't choose the moniker you placed on him. You chose it. You chose it with all of your foreknowledge and wisdom. You chose it knowing about what he would do in Nob with Ahimelech and how he would deceive him and the consequences of that. You knew what would happen when he fled here to Gath and the consequences of his lies and deceitfulness. You knew what was going to happen with he and Bathsheba and the actions he would take against Uriah the Hittite, her husband. You knew all these things. And yet you also knew that David would crawl out from under the circumstances when confronted, would repent of his sin, that he would turn from his errors and he would throw himself on the love and mercy of God when confronted for the things that he had done wrong. And Lord, thus we can conclude that because of these actions, you called him the man after your own heart. And we can embrace that as our own as well. So we thank you, Lord, that we have the right to get up when we have completely fallen. And we have the right and the ability to come out from under the circumstances when our feelings and emotions have caused us to live underneath them for even far too long. So, Lord, I pray for any tonight who've been bullied by the adversary who's been seeking to devour them, that the attacks, the pursuit have been relentless, and feelings of, and emotions have got the upper hand for the moment. Lord, I pray even for those who may have become tactical like David and their efforts and self-guided steps have led to a bit of a respite, that they too would see that dwelling in your land of your faithful promises is the best way for us to live, that you would encourage them to do all to stand, even under enemy fire, and not doubt or question your faithfulness, but rather to walk in trust of you and commit their ways to you. So, Lord, we thank you for telling us about David and others and their failures and their victories so we can find hope in your book that is living and powerful. We thank you for our time together tonight. Bless us now, we pray as we go. In Jesus' name, and all God's people agreed by saying, Amen. Amen. I think it's a wonderful thing that the Lord has told us that these people that we hold in such high esteem and rightfully so in scripture had failures. I find it very comforting to know that Abraham, uh, this man called God's friend, had his flesh get the best of him a time or two as well. And yet he was never unnamed the friend of God, even in the midst of his own doubts and failures and taking matters into his own hands. God's way is always right. God's way is always best. So let's just stay right there and live the rest of our days until he comes for us. And today would be good for him to do that. Amen. Would you all stand? We'll see you Sunday morning.